So today we'll be wrapping up the whole thing uh, with a look back at some of what we learned and a challenge to, uh, to apply and do something with what we've learned. So um, once again, let's, let's read the key section from the Bible of our passage here. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's pray for a moment. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we uh, look into your word, that your spirit would enable us to understand the things that we here, and that we would know what it means and know what we are to do about it. Father, I pray that you would convict us where we need conviction, encourage us where we need encouragement as we study your word. Amen. So the fruit of the Spirit, what are the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit are the things that the Spirit of God wants to produce in our lives. They are character traits of God himself that we can come to have too in increasing measure as we grow in maturity in our faith. So I want to do a quick review of each of the fruits. Um, Love. We had three main points about love. We said that love takes action. That is, love isn't just good feelings, it is good feelings that result in good actions. Secondly, we said that love seeks the good of the other person and not our own good. And third, true love loves even those that it is hard to love. Jesus said that we are to love even our enemies. Second fruit is joy. We define joy as the feeling that we have when we consider ourselves blessed. And we have been greatly blessed by God. Even when some of the things in our lives are not going very well, if we take a step back and we think about uh, the things and, the, and remember the blessings of salvation, we can have joy even in this imperfect world. The next fruit, peace, entails freedom from anxiety and contentment in our relationships. And the foundation of our peace is that we can have peace with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can have peace even when we face a scary, uncertain future because we have the love of a faithful God. Much who cares for the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, and he cares about you so much that he even knows the number of the hairs on your head. When we talked about patience, we focused on one of the most important aspects of this virtue. We defined godly patience as refraining from seeking revenge ourselves and instead leaving it to God. And we looked at stories about David and how he refused to take revenge on his enemy Saul, even when he had tremendously tempting opportunities to do so. In the message on kindness, we said that kind people see and meet needs because they care. Sometimes... We don't even see the needs of the people around us. We're too self-focused to even notice what's going on in their lives. 
But kind people care enough not only to see the needs around them, but also to make the effort to meet the needs that they can. The fruit of goodness is wanting, knowing, and doing what leads to God's glory and human flourishing. Sometimes we don't even know what is right. Uh, Or sometimes we don't even want what is right. We want to be selfish. We want to be sinful. Sometimes we want to do right, but we don't know what the right thing is to do in a certain situation. And sometimes we, we see and know what is right, but we just don't want to do it. But as the Holy Spirit produces goodness in our lives, we will want, know, and be enabled to do what is right more and more. The fruit of faithfulness is not having a lot of faith, but it's being a faithful and trustworthy person. And when we talked about that, we talked mostly about uh, the, the faithfulness of God and how we can trust everything that God says because everything that he says is true. Especially, uh, we can use the promises of God. He does not make idle promises that he may or may not keep. If God has said it, he will do it. And as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we can become trustworthy people who do what we say we will do, and we can have the fruit of faithfulness. Gentleness honors people's value and fragility. When we display the fruit of gentleness, we will always remember the incredible value of the people around us. And we must, be, we must never be careless in the way that we treat one another because that person who's sitting next to you is both highly value and fragile. The things that we do and say to one another can cause great damage. But gentleness teaches us to treat other people as they deserve. And the last fruit on on the list here in Galatians is uh, self-control. Self-control is mastery over our passions and bodily appetites for the purpose of pleasing God and fulfilling his calling on our lives. As the Spirit works in us, we will find that our passions and appetites will have less and less control over what we do. We will grow in our mastery of them. We may still have all kinds of both good and bad desires, but we will have control over them so that we can say yes to good passions and say no to sinful ones. So those nine things are the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this isn't meant to be an, a uh, definitive, exhaustive list of everything that, the, that God wants to do in our lives, but it is a good, uh, a good summary, and, uh, and it includes a lot of the character traits and virtues that God will and wants to produce in us. Now, I want to say something about that little sentence at the end of the verse, such, against such things there is no law. Against such things, there is no law. Um, Now, the most obvious uh, meaning of that is that these virtues are universally seen as good things, and there are no laws against any of them, which is true, but this verse is saying a little bit more than that. You see, uh, law is a key theological concept in the whole book of Galatians. 
And if you read through Galatians, you'll see that there's a lot of discussion about law in there. And, um, and in fact, in order to, to address misunderstandings and confusion about the role of religious laws and rules in the life of Christians was the main purpose for which Paul wrote this letter to these churches in Galatia. And when it says, against such things there is no law, another way of understanding the original language here is not simply to say that these things are not illegal, but to say that these things are not about law at all. In other words, living according to the fruit of the Spirit is not about keeping a list of rules or laws, but about being a virtuous person of high character. The book of Galatians is clear that not only are we not saved by keeping the law, keeping laws is also not at the core of our sanctification. God knows that there is a difference between good character and good behavior. See, Jesus looked at the most religious people of his day, and he saw through their good behavior and into their evil hearts. I'm going to read a section now um, of Jesus, uh, I call it a rant. You can decide for yourself whether it's a rant. Jesus' rant against uh, these hypocritical religious people from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! But you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Let me read that last verse again. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying the focus needs to be on inner character and virtue, not on outward observance of the rules. If we have virtuous character on the inside, then our outside, that is our observable behavior, will also be clean. But the opposite is not necessarily true. We can do some good things, like give the church a strict percentage of your income, even of the spices that grow in your garden. That's what these guys were doing, right? Or to Alaskanize it a bit, we can say, you can give a portion of the value of the salmon that you catch, or the moose that you harvest, or the, or the blueberries that you pick out in the mountains. Uh, that's a bit extreme, wouldn't you think, to be calculating out how much you owe God from your blueberry picking? So that's what the kind of thing that these guys were doing. They were tithing from the things that grew in their garden. But even that kind of strict rule-keeping can be a front for an evil heart. Jesus goes on in verse 27, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, 
but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He actually goes on for a while more in a similar uh, track there, but uh, I'll stop there. God does not want to transform our behavior. He wants to transform our hearts. The Pharisees that Jesus is criticizing here did a lot of good things. How do you put that? He said, uh, on the outside you appear to people as righteous. They appeared to be righteous. They kept the Sabbath, they attended the synagogue, they studied the Bible, they gave to the poor, but their hearts were not transformed. Of course, a transformed heart will result in changed behavior. And in many cases, the outward behavior of a transformed heart is really pretty similar to the legalistic religious hypocrite's behavior. They both avoid lying, cheating, and stealing. They both give to the poor. But one helps the poor because she genuinely cares for them and wants to use the resources that God has given her to help others. The other one gives to the poor because it's an obligation required by his religious rule-keeping. God does not want us to practice peace and self-control and patience because we are required to do so in order to please him. He wants us to be people of peace and patience and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit and all of Christian sanctification and growth are about changing our character, not about changing our behavior. So, how do we change our character? Well, let's, let's look at the next couple of verses in Galatians first here. Back over to Galatians. Um, learn a little bit from these and then we'll... The next verse says, Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, what does that mean? There's similar statements in a few other places in the Bible too. What does it mean? Anyone who's been a Christian for more than a few days knows that it does not mean that once we belong to Christ, that is, when we become Christians, that our sinful passions and desires are dead and we're no longer tempted. That is not what it means. And we're not just tempted. We often give in to the temptations and give in to our sinful passions and desires. So what does it mean that we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? It means that the essential battle has been won. And now the transformation can begin. Without Christ, there is no way that we can have victory over our sinful behaviors and our sinful desires. We may overcome some bad habits and improve ourselves, but we will never truly defeat sin. But as Christians, with the Holy Spirit living in us, the barrier has been breached. The conflict with sin has been won, but there's still a lot of mopping up to do. But we can have hope. As the Spirit produces his fruit in our lives, we will become more and more like Christ 
and like these nine characteristics that we have been talking about. And we will come to embody the fruit more and more. This victory has been won for us by Jesus when he died to pay the price for our sins. And now the Holy Spirit is in us as Christians producing this fruit. However, spiritual growth is not automatic. There is still something for us to do. The next verse puts it like this. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. As Christians, we already live by the Spirit, but we still need to keep in step with Him. What does it mean to keep in step? It means that where He guides, we go. When He says turn right, we turn right. When He says stop, we stop. When He says go forward, we go forward. We keep in step with His guidance. But keeping in step is still a metaphor, right? We aren't really talking about how we walk and go places, we're talking about life and character. So what are we really talking about? How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Um, The idea of keeping step is described in a bit of a different figure by Jesus. So let's take a look at that passage, and then by looking at both of them, hopefully we'll have a pretty good idea of what it is that God wants us to do. This is from uh, the book of John, chapter 15. Jesus said, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is talking to his closest disciples here, and he tells them they must remain in him. Because just like a branch cannot produce fruit without being connected to the vine, Jesus' disciples, and that includes all of us here, Uh, or uh, includes us, cannot bear fruit unless we remain in Jesus. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Same idea repeated here again. It is only as we rely on Jesus that we are able to produce fruit fruit. If we do not remain in him, we can do nothing as regards to producing fruit in our lives. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a big statement. Uh, No, it doesn't mean that God will be your personal genie in a bottle and grant you wishes. Uh, It means that when we are in step with the Spirit, when we are remaining in Jesus and His words and His teachings are remaining in us, then we will ask for the right things from God. And He will hear us and act on our behalf. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, I've got a couple of key questions I want to answer about this passage. One is, is the fruit that Jesus is talking about here the same as what we've been talking about in Galatians? Uh, Remember what I said about the list of fruit in Galatians, that these nine are not really meant to be a definitive, exhaustive list of of everything that God is doing in our lives. Um, But they are 
character traits that God wants to produce in us. They are a list of many of the most important elements of the fruit that God wants to produce in our lives. But here, Jesus doesn't give us a list of, here's exactly what I mean by fruit. He just talks about fruit in a very general statement as this is what God wants to produce in and through us. And that certainly includes the kind of character traits that we've been learning about in Galatians. The second key question is, what does it mean to remain in Jesus? Some of you might be familiar with the, the translation used in a lot of uh, other that abide. Jesus says, abide in me or remain in me. So what does it mean to abide or to remain in Jesus? It means to live in a way that is mindful of him. It is to make Jesus a part of your normal activities throughout each day. It also means to include in your life regular practices of relationship with him and devotion to him. And our first importance in, is that uh, includes being part of a good church where you can hear the Bible taught and worship God with your brothers and sisters in Christ where we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Now obviously I'm saying this to a bunch of people who are already here in church this morning so good for you. Uh, that's great. And if the, those of you who are here on a regular basis, well done. You're doing this part right. And for those of you who are here but are still trying to decide if, if uh, church is going to be a regular thing for you if, or if you are trying to decide whether this is the church for you, well done to you too because uh, we are glad that you're here and you're here exploring this. And uh, if Clearwater ends up being uh, the church for you, we, uh, we will be very happy for that. One of the things that, uh, that I love about our church is that we are eager to welcome and to get to know and include new people. And, uh, and yet we know that we're not the only good church in the city, and if you end up somewhere else, that's also great, but, uh, but we would love to have you here. Um, but there's more to abiding in Christ than being part of a church. In addition to our corporate spiritual life, we need to have a personal spiritual life. And that includes a lot of different activities, um, but I have some suggestions on this next slide. I'm not saying that you need to do all of these things or that these, this is a perfect list. I, these are some suggestions that uh, I think that you are likely to find these things helpful in keeping yourself mindful of Jesus and in deepening your relationship with him. First on my list is having a habit of daily times of personal prayer. It's a core spiritual practice to take a period of time each day uh, to spend talking with God. Um, saying a quick two or three sentence prayers throughout your day, also a very good practice, but I'm talking about really stopping and taking some time, 10 minutes or more, to spend time in prayer on a regular basis. And I am convinced that there is nothing that will do more for your personal spiritual growth than developing this habit. I want to give you a very practical suggestion that I have found uh, quite helpful, that you might find helpful too. 
and it is right here in my pocket. I use a prayer list to, uh, to guide my uh, daily practice of prayer. Um, and I want to show you how this particular thing works in case you want to make one of these. Um, this is a piece of paper that I've folded in half and then folded in half and then folded in half again. And you end up with eight sides to it. And then on one of the sides, you write things that you want to pray for on a daily basis. For me, that includes giving praise and thanks to God, confessing my sins and asking for forgiveness, and the names of my wife and kids. And because of this sermon series, I also added fruit to my daily section there. And then um, on the other seven sides, you write the days of the week. And then on each day, you write the things that you want to pray about that day. Mine is mostly uh, people's names that I like to pray for and, uh, and sacrifices that I pray for and, and things like that. Um, you can pray for your friends, your coworkers, your extended family, missionaries, people in leadership here at Clearwater or elsewhere. Um, and for me, this is helpful for a few reasons. First of all, having a list helps me focus on praying. Um, I find that my mind tends to wander around a lot when I'm trying to have an extended period of prayer. And when that happens, I can just look back at my list and go to the next item on the list and get back into uh, focused prayer time. Um, also, having some structure to my prayer in the daily section is a help to me, remembering to pray for those core things that I always want to be praying for. And having the days of the week um, set up like this makes it so that I can remember to pray for a lot more people then I could either remember without a list or remember if I just had a single list. With a single list, man, if you get a bunch of names on there, 40 or 50 people, that's going to be a long time of prayer. But I think it's great to, you can put them on two or three days a week if you really feel like once a week's not enough, but to have it broken down that way so that you still remember to pray for people or ministries on a regular basis without having to uh, have an enormous list to get through each day. So whether you like the idea of that kind of a uh, prayer list or not, I strongly encourage you to get in the habit of spending time daily in prayer. And the next thing on my list of ways to abide in Christ and encourage the fruit to grow in your life is that you should have a regular habit of reading your Bible. Now, personally, I don't really care if you bring your Bible to church on Sunday mornings. Um, we'll put the key scriptures up on the screen for you and stuff, that's fine. Uh, you don't own a Bible so that you can bring it to church on Sunday. You own a Bible so that you can read it every day when you're at home or wherever you are. Um, bring it to church on Sunday too is good, but, uh, but that's not why you have a Bible. You have a Bible so you can use it in your day-to-day -day life, not so you can go Easter on Sundays. Um, of course, the most convenient thing now is to simply have your Bible on your phone, uh, if you don't have the Bible app U version on your phone, I don't know, you need to get it. Um, it's, a, it's a really helpful little thing. You always have your Bible with you. You can choose any of dozens of translations on here, even all kinds of foreign language translations, you name it, it's all on the Bible app. And then one of the other cool things that's on here is um, you can uh, get Bible plans. They'll show you plans uh, for particular topics and it'll show you what to read each day. Um, the Bible app does it all for you right now. When I click show me or help me find a plan, it says, 
Show me plans for love, grace, men, women, healing, marriage, peace, anxiety, hope, trust, forgiveness, fear. All these topics, whatever it is that you want to hear from God about, you can find a plan on the Bible app that will show you scriptures to read on that, um, on that topic. You can also find good just uh, general daily Bible reading plans, read through the Bible in a year, all kinds of great stuff like that. So whether you do it on your phone or you do it in your paper Bible, I still like reading my paper Bible, um, spend time each day reading your Bible and get in a regular habit uh, to grow in your faith. Next thing I want to suggest is that you get yourself into a journey group. Uh, groups are where we really get to know and relate with our brothers and sisters in Christ, where we can discuss spiritual things, where we can talk about and hear about each other's lives, where we can pray for each other and have Christian love for one another, and we can encourage each other. So if you're not in a group yet, get in a journey group. Next one is the memory verse challenge. Uh, yeah, you just saw it happen here. We do give out prizes. That's cool to get prizes, maybe, if you uh, do that. to memory verse challenge. I still haven't had my name drawn yet. haven't won any prizes. But we don't do it to get the chance to win something cool. Memorizing parts of the Bible is a great spiritual habit. It forces us to spend quite a bit of time repeating over and over again a particular passage of Scripture. And, um, and those ideas from the Bible... Uh, get into our minds and into our hearts. Our memory verse challenge is a really good and easy way to make this a regular part of your life. And I just switched out the new verse for December, so you can pick it up on your way out today. Um, so you can uh, memorize our next verse and get into maybe winning a prize at the end of the month. Um, next one, I want to encourage you to read some good Christian books. We have there are a huge number of great Christian books that have been written over the last few hundred years that we can uh, get access to. Um, I picked out a few books for my shelves to bring in and recommend. I've got them on a table back there in the back. If you want to come and look at them and talk to me about them or maybe even borrow one if you're, good at, if you're a faithful person who will bring it back, um, you can borrow one of my books. I even brought in uh, one of the books that we've been using to study the fruit of the Spirit. So if you haven't had enough of the fruit of the Spirit, you can grab one of those books and uh, read about that. But um, there is a lot of good wisdom that's been written out there. And being in the habit of every now and then picking up a good Christian book and reading it can really be a help to you in producing that fruit in your life, being mindful of Jesus and and learning how to live for God, and learning to understand God and the Bible and yourself better. And the last thing I want to recommend to you is listening to good Christian podcasts. And there's four that I want to recommend right now, four podcasts. One is Timothy Keller, who is one of the great Christian thinkers and preachers uh, in the world today. Uh, he's pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City and author of a lot of great books. Um, includes great to listen to his teaching. Desiring God Ministries is another podcast. It includes preaching and teaching from Pastor John Piper and other people also appear on that podcast. Uh, Renewing Your Mind with R.C. Sproul. Uh, they describe themselves as, our aim is to faithfully prevent, sorry, present 
the unvarnished truth of Scripture, helping you to know what you believe, why you believe, how to live, and how to share it. And then the Gospel Coalition, great teaching from a variety of preachers and teachers on all kinds of interesting topics that will help you to think correctly about the world. Podcasts like these, and there's loads of other ones, I just wanted to have a few to recommend here, help us to be mindful of God and his ways all the time. So those are a few recommendations of how to remain in the vine and keep in step with the Spirit so that God will produce his fruits in our lives. Daily personal prayer, daily Bible reading, join a journey group, do the memory verse challenge, read some Christian books, listen to some good Christian podcasts. There's lots of other things you could do, but those are some suggestions. So here's the thing. What is your next step? I made a really big slide this week because that'll make you listen to it more. Um, Really big slide. We talk about next steps every week. Um, We always think that people need to be thinking about what is the next step on my relationship with God? What is the next thing I need to be doing? in my Christian life to grow more and become a a more faithful Christian and more faithful follower of God. Today, we are wrapping up this whole big series on the fruit of the Spirit, and I want you to think about what is your next step as a result of this whole idea of the fruit of the Spirit and how we can keep in step with the Spirit, abide in Christ, and grow in our spiritual maturity. What are you going to do? Are you going to take one of those things that I just talked about, or do you have another idea? What are you going to do to cooperate with the Spirit as He seeks to grow the fruit in your life? As always, I encourage you to write it on the Connect card, on the back of your Connect card that's on those chairs. Back of that has next steps. Um, if you write it on there or there's some suggestions on there of what some next steps might be um, you can either turn it in the box and if I see it that'll be great I'll pray for you about it or just keep it for yourself to remind you of what decision you made but I encourage you to do that today take the next step toward God and the fruitful life My final words on this series. First a warning, then a word of encouragement. The warning is from Jesus. Here's what he said. He said, uh, Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So what is Jesus saying here? He's not talking about trees. Here's my big takeaway from this this warning that Jesus gave. God expects us to bear fruit. If we do not bear fruit, 
there is something seriously wrong with us. Fertilize. So let's make sure that our soil is prepared and fertilized so that we can bring glory to God by producing much fruit. And if we do not, there will be consequences. I'm not sure exactly what Jesus meant the consequences to be. The metaphor is he's going to cut down the tree. I don't know what that means, but it sounds bad. So let's avoid it. Let's bear fruit. And now the final word from one of my favorite books of the Bible, Philippians. It says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Spirit's work in our lives, helping us to grow in our faith, produce fruit in our lives. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would be continually growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and respond. And I want you to consider uh, this song that we're going to repeat, King of Heaven, Come Down. You know, Jesus said...